Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 66 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Coombs, and I'm here by myself today, but I'm talking about something that is really close to my heart, and that is SIBO nutrition. This is something that we can get incredibly fixated on when it comes to living and breathing the SIBO life and something that can cause extreme anxiety, stress and frustration. But before I dive into today's podcast, I want to let you know about this huge sale I'm running at the moment, guys, uh, because it's totally tied in with nutrition. I have a huge 50% off my SIBO cookbooks and my SIBO meal plans until Sunday the 1st of July. All you need to do is head to thehealthygut.co and add your cookbooks or your meal plans to your cart and then use the code MIDYEAR at the checkout and you'll get 50% off all of those products. So it's a great way to get uh, a cookbook absolutely free if you buy two. You could buy the summer cookbook and then get the family favourites cookbook absolutely free. You could buy three meal plans for half the price of what they normally are. It's a great way to get lots of new recipes in your repertoire for a fraction of the price. So today I want to talk to you about how we can and should be approaching our SIBO diets and nutrition. From my perspective, I speak with thousands of people all around the world and I have also gone through SIBO myself so I know firsthand what it's like to be dealing with the food side of SIBO. I have also experienced extreme anxiety and disordered eating when it comes to SIBO treatment. And today I want to share with you some of my tips and tricks so that you don't have to walk in the same shoes that I did. I hope my experience with this can help guide you along a better path than where I went the first time around with my SIBO diet. So we'll talk about the types of diets that people follow, how long we should be following them for, why we would consider following a restricted or modified diet, what kind of symptoms or signals we should be looking for to see if perhaps the way we're approaching our food is becoming problematic. And the advice from the practitioners around reintroduction of foods 
The great thing is, guys, these diets are all designed to be temporary, short-term diets. They are not designed to be a long-term or lifelong way of eating. They are designed to help control our symptoms. And at this point in time, it is not recognized that a SIBO diet alone will cure your SIBO. This is something that I did not think about at all. I was totally fixated on my small intestine. We aren't supposed to have very much bacteria in our small intestine. It should be relatively clear of bacteria. The role of the small intestine is to absorb the nutrients from our food and we do that through the villi and microvilli. The role of the large intestine is to use bacteria that are there in their trillions to help support the final digestion of that food. And they do that through fermenting it, digesting it, uh, processing it for us. We also have multiple other functions that are going along that those bacteria are creating for us. I won't go into those specifics. Uh, I'll try and keep it really (laughs) simple in terms of the very simplistic um, approach to the digestive tract. When we follow a SIBO diet, we are doing it to restrict food sources for the bacteria in our small intestine because we want to reduce the symptoms we're experiencing. But this is also restricting food for the trillions of bacteria in our large intestine, in the colon. And these little critters do need fuel from us. We need them to be eating, fermenting, digesting and processing our food. And so something that many of us SIBOers do is that we forget about these little critters because we're so fixated on the small intestine. And this is what I did. I totally and utterly forgot to think about my large bowel. In order to have really great health, we need great diversity in our large bowel. The SIBO diets can be really supportive for a short-term period of time. However, we do come into problems when we follow these diets for long periods of time. And new research is coming out which shows there is a detrimental impact on the health and diversity of the microbiome in the large intestine when we follow diets like the low FODMAP diet for even periods of short as four weeks. Dr. Narala Jacobi, who developed the biphasic diet, recommends that her diet is not followed for any longer than six months. So it's important for us to remember this, guys, that these diets are short-term, temporary measures to reduce our symptoms. We do need to be using these diets in conjunction with additional treatments so that we are identifying the underlying causes of why our small intestine stopped working efficiently and allowed the bacteria to overgrow in large numbers. If all we do is restrict our diet, we are not treating the underlying cause. This is something that I just did not give any attention to the first time round with my SIBO treatment. Instead, I put all of my energy on and focus on restricting the foods, on becoming so fixated on what I could and could not eat possibly to the detriment of my larger microbiome community. 
And I now know that my microbiome diversity is sitting at 62%. So I don't have great diversity and I've got a lot of work to do to help rebuild those populations. So that's starting off on what the diets are there for um, in terms of symptom control and why they control the symptoms. So let's look at the types of diets that are used specifically for SIBO. So the diets are there to reduce the fermentable carbohydrates, things like starches, things in like grains, beans, starchy vegetables, resistant starches like whole grains, seeds, legumes, soluble fiber like grains, beans, nuts, seeds, veggies, fruit, uh, sugars like fruits and sweeteners and prebiotics, which we get in our food, which helps to feed the bacteria. The SIBO-specific food guide was developed by Dr. Alison Seebecker, and this has a colour-coded system from green through to red of foods that are less fermentable through to foods that are more fermentable. This can be a really great diet if you like flexibility, if you want to choose the foods that you're eating, if you hate being told what to do and you want to be in control. And you, you work off the foods that are in the various columns. So it can be a really easy way to follow a protocol that Dr. C. Becker developed after treating thousands of SIBO patients. That then was taken by Dr. Narala Jacobi and turned into the SIBO biphasic diet. And that's the diet I myself followed and which I've developed my SIBO cookbooks on and also my SIBO meal plans and all of my cooking shows and, and online recipe support. Dr. Narala Jacobi is German by descent and birth, and she likes rules and regulations, and so do I. Her diet then is broken down into two key phases. Phase one is split into two parts, the restricted phase, which is the least fermentable, the semi-restricted phase where you start to add in more fermentable carbohydrates such as some fruit and increasing the quantities of certain foods. And then phase two is where you start to add in some additional grains, a little bit of alcohol is included if you want it, um, some other sugars, some higher fermentable starches and fibres and all the rest. If you like being told exactly what to do and following a plan, then the biphasic diet is perfect for you. I really liked it because I'm an all or nothing person. I'm not good at being told, here, just choose from all of these things and see what works for you. I like to be told, do this and then do that. The low fermentation diet by Dr. Mark Pimentel out of Cedars Sinai is another diet that can be followed by SIBO patients. This is a more relaxed diet and it does include things like white bread and white potato. So if you want to be eating more of these foods and perhaps if your symptoms aren't as extreme, then this diet might work well for you. And then there's the fast-tracked diet by Dr. Norm Robillard. And this diet was developed by Norm in response to his own experience with debilitating 
heartburn and acid reflux. He was really suffering from um, very, very painful heartburn and reflux, living a life on proton pump inhibitors, but not having any symptom relief. So he started to look at the fermentation potential of food and realized that there were some foods that were more fermentable by the bacteria and those that were less fermentable. And so he has developed a program whereby you stick to a number of fermentation potential points in a day and that and you work out what works for you. So you might be on 20 points, for instance, and that helps to control the symptoms. It is used by people with SIBO quite successfully uh, and so definitely something to consider. Now, with all three or four of these diets, it is important to remember that they are guidelines. They aren't intended to be used as a Bible, so as something that you follow and never change. All of these practitioners recognize that all of us are unique, our microbiome is unique, and what I can tolerate won't necessarily be what you can tolerate. It can be frustrating because I totally understand that you want to be given a way of eating that never has to change. But none of these doctors know your situation specifically. So you may find when you look at these guides that you know categorically you cannot eat a certain food. It really reacts strongly with you, despite it being listed in a category that would be considered fine to eat for SIBO. So you do need to experiment and play around with foods. Likewise, there might be foods on the lists that are considered something that you might introduce later on in your SIBO treatment and yet you can tolerate it absolutely fine. When I interviewed Dr. Alison Seebecker for my SIBO coaching program, we did a great uh, webinar with her around SIBO diets. We just focused on that and her advice was if you can tolerate it, eat it. She wants her patients eating as broadly and as diversely as humanly possible. And I'll give you an example of this. Pumpkin is considered safe on the SIBO diets. It's in phase one restricted on the biphasic diet and it's also in the green column on the SIBO specific food guide. Yet when I tried eating it, I would bloat up almost instantaneously as soon as I ate pumpkin. And I was really frustrated because I love pumpkin. I love to roast pumpkin. It's quite sweet. So it gave me that kind of sweet hit uh, when I was strictly avoiding all forms of sugar. But my body just wasn't tolerating it at all. And so every single month in my six months of doing my SIBO treatment program and diet in the first time around I had SIBO, I would try and reintroduce it. And for five months, my body reacted quite strongly to it. I would bloat up, look six months pregnant. But then in month six, I was fine. I could tolerate it. I was literally singing hallelujah from the rafters. I was so excited that pumpkin was back. So guys, do keep trying with foods. It Just because you can't tolerate it today doesn't mean you won't be able to in the future. Because as we go through our SIBO treatment protocol, as we increase the diversity in our diet, our microbiome does respond and it changes to this. 
On the flip side, there was a food that I ate from the start that now is considered uh, to not to be included until phase two of the biphasic diet, and that's raw cacao. At that point in time, uh, Dr. Narala Jacobi hadn't used raw cacao in her treatment protocol with her patients and I thought well it's not listed I'm going to try it and I was absolutely fine with it. I wanted to make my own sugar-free chocolate so that I felt that I could have some kind of treat during my SIBO diet program. I wasn't eating a lot of it I was having maybe a square or two per day just enough to feel like I had something from my normal world. And I was fine. And it wasn't actually until I was telling Dr. Jacoby that I ate it and I used it throughout my treatment protocol that she then considered it and she put it into phase two. So again, guys, there are things that you can tolerate and that you can eat absolutely perfectly and that doesn't cause symptoms. So do play around with the foods that you're eating. It is important to remember that your food is not going to cause a SIBO relapse. Yes, you might have some symptoms arise from it and that may be partly due to the excess growth of bacteria in your small intestine, having some food that they can ferment and create in gases. It could also be because you don't have the digestive enzymes anymore to break down that food or a range of other things. But one meal or trialing a new food is not going to relapse you and put you back at the start. I believed that was the case when I first went through my SIBO diet and it is actually not true. So do play around with foods. There are some other diets that can be followed for the SIBO um, during your SIBO treatment. The low FODMAP diet, which was created by my fellow Aussies here in Australia at Monash University, was originally developed for people suffering from irritable bowel syndrome. So it's not specifically for a SIBO diet, but it can be used successfully by people with SIBO. Dr. Alison Seebecker often talks about how this can be used for those patients that have less severe symptoms, those people that hate rules and regulations, and also for vegetarians and vegans because there is more flexibility in that program. The specific carbohydrate diet or SCD diet is often used by SIBO people. Um, it was originally used for inflammatory bowel disease and celiac disease so again not designed specifically for SIBO but for some people it works and the gut and psychology syndrome diet or GAPS as it's known was also developed for something else it was developed for children with autism so again not a SIBO specific diet but can be used well by people Um, so some people respond really well to it There's also the paleo diet, the ketogenic diet. And again, these aren't specific for SIBO, but some people find that these are sufficient and that they work well for them. So do play around with those diets. Now, there is no one perfect diet. And the reason for that is that we are not the same. We are not all identical copies of each other. So what works for me for me, it was the biphasic diet. I loved it. It doesn't work for other people. And that's because my microbiome 
and my unique composition in my gut is different to yours. So you do need to play around with diets and see what works with you. My advice on selecting a diet is to pick one and stick with it for a while. If you try to combine the low FODMAP diet with the fast track diet, with the biphasic diet, I promise you, you will send yourself insane because each diet has slightly different variations on a theme. For instance, avocado and honey are included on the biphasic diet from phase one semi-restricted. They're not included on the low FODMAP diet because they're higher FODMAP foods. So you can send yourself around the twist trying to combine all of them. Instead, choose one diet, go with it for let's say four weeks, you will more than likely need to customise it because there will be foods that you still can't tolerate despite them being considered appropriate for that diet. And then see how you feel. Now, for many people, a good improvement might be 50 or 60% improvement from where you were it's probably unlikely to expect that you will have a 100% improvement on your symptoms. And if you're expecting that, you'll set yourself up for failure. Now, how do you track whether you've had improvement? I've got a really handy food and mood diary, which you can download uh, as part of listening to this podcast so that you can track your symptoms according to what you're eating. And you can give yourself a score at the end of the week. How did I feel? Was I a 10 out of 10? Was I an 8 out of 10? Was I a 1 out of 10? And then each week that you're following this particular SIBO diet protocol, you can then track how you're feeling. Now, you may think, oh, I'll remember. I'll remember how I felt. I guarantee you won't. It's really hard to remember the slight nuances, the slight differences that occur week on week. We can look back over a long period of time and go, gosh, I have improved enormously. But when we're in the thick of it, it can be really hard to know that you've gone from a 2 out of 10 to a 3 out of 10. But that's a 10% improvement. And 10% is great. So you do want to track how you're going so that you can keep an eye on the the small but incremental improvements that you will feel. Remember guys, food is not the enemy. We can end up being incredibly fearful of our food, incredibly angry about what we can and we can't eat. Food is there to nourish us. Without it, we will not survive. We need it to replenish our cells. Our entire body requires food to come in. So instead of focusing on what you can't have, I like to focus on what you can have. So look at the lists of whichever diet protocol you are following and think to yourself, look at the abundance of food that I can eat. Actually try and eat all of the foods that are considered allowed or suitable for that particular phase that you are in. Because for many of us, we get stuck eating the same 10 to 15 foods every week. So have a game with yourself. How many new things can you try? And you'll surprise yourself. You'll be eating foods that you've perhaps never eaten. 
And also remember, guys, that eating does not bring SIBO back. I might sound like a broken record talking about this, but I think it's really important to reinforce this message because so many people are so scared that one meal, one bite of food will send them back to the start, like playing a game of Monopoly. Do not pass go, go straight to jail. It is not that case with SIBO. So what are some of the pros and cons about following a SIBO diet when we think about should we in fact do one? Well, some of the positives are we can have improved symptoms, so the severity of our symptoms may improve. And we want that. We want to feel better. It also may improve our health. So if you have been somebody that, and I was doing this, where over a period of years you were just restricting foods yourself, not through the guidance of a medical practitioner, nutritionist or dietitian, but you were pulling back on foods because you knew when you ate that particular food, you didn't feel great. So you cut it out. That can inadvertently lead to malnutrition or we can inadvertently being reduced in the diversity of foods we're eating and the nutrients we are bringing into our body. So when we follow one of these protocols, we can actually increase the diversity and we can be adding new foods in that we haven't eaten in years. So that can be a really great positive of following one of these diets. For, for those of you like me who were gaining weight, weight loss can be a positive uh, because you might find that you actually start to help reduce some of the inflammation. You might be inadvertently reducing some of the calories that you are intaking and you are able to then start to lose some of the weight. And what I experienced was that I lost centimetres. I didn't lose a lot of weight, but I lost a significant amount of centimetres, which was from the inflammation. On the flip side, those of you that that are really underweight may find that you can gain some extra weight. So this can be a really great positive because you're feeling that you're too slim, uh, you're not happy with um, being as slim as you are and following, following one of these diets can help put some weight on. These SIBO diets can help with blood sugar regulation and they can help to decrease our sugar cravings, particularly if you've got a fungal issue at play as well. For the first couple of weeks for me, I had intense sugar cravings, which suggests there was fungal issue at the same time. All I wanted to eat was sugary sweet foods and I found breaking that habit quite difficult. But I did. I stuck to my guns and I got through it. And every time I had one of those really intense cravings for sugars or carbs, I would say to myself, Rebecca, it's not you, it's the critters screaming out for food. And I'd say to them, you're not going to get me this time, critters. I'm stronger than you. I'm not giving you that food. I finally know what you are and I am in control now. And that really helped to get me through those cravings. Or I would get up, walk around, I'd go and drink some water. And I would have something that was acceptable for that phase of my protocol on hand for those times when the the craving just wouldn't abate and it might be having a spoonful of coconut butter or coconut oil. Uh, I've got clients that like to eat a spoonful of ghee. They find that particularly sweet. 
I would make some of my desserts that are suitable for phase one restricted, um, which you can find in my cookbooks and also on my website, thehealthygut.co. And that would help when I just couldn't get rid of those cravings. It can also help those of us that need to improve our relationship with our body. And in part, following the SIBO diet did do this with me. I was really able to focus on nutrition in. I visualized the health benefits that I was bringing my body. And I really worked at returning myself to health. On the flip side, there are some some negatives or some cons when it comes to a SIBO diet. For some people, it can lead to undesired weight loss. I think for some people, this is due to not eating enough. Uh, People are really scared of eating and feeling sick, so they restrict the food, they restrict their calories, and weight just falls off their frames. For other people, it's not a, it's about not perhaps getting enough diversity or not having enough protein or fat. Um, some people do need to increase their carbohydrate intake. Having a very low-carb diet just isn't appropriate for their body. So you do need to play around with this. And guys, I really strongly recommend if weight is falling off your frame and you do not desire that, find a nutritionist or dietitian who is skilled in SIBO Contact me if you need to. I know many of them and they can work with you to develop a specific protocol that is suitable for your unique needs. If you find yourself incredibly underweight, if you're a woman and you've stopped having periods, for instance, because you've lost so much weight, this does not support you to return to health. The number one thing that you need to do is get yourself into a more healthy weight range so that you can then return to health. Something I'm seeing all too often with the SIBO diet is it is leading to disordered eating. And a term that is now coming out in the psychological community, people that are dealing with those of us with disordered eating, is orthorexia. And this means that we have a fear around food, not like anorexia where we have a fear of all food, but we have a fear of what we consider unhealthy food. So for those of us following a SIBO diet, this is the foods in the red columns, in the avoid columns, in the illegal columns, depending on the wording that is used by these diet protocols. This is really damaging for us. So if you find, if you are finding yourself becoming fearful, thinking things like potato is the devil, I will never eat that, or white sugar will kill me and everyone on the planet or gluten is destroying our planet. And now the, I'm saying this because I had these very same thoughts, so I know from experience, uh, then there could be a problem there. If you find yourself considering the reintroduction phase of foods and being quite nervous and apprehensive of it, then you may find yourself being disordered in your eating. That's a good question, hey? I've got loads more just like this coming up after this break. We're back in a moment.
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I don't think we're talking about this condition or this aspect of SIBO enough. And I really, really want to spread this message. I had an eating disorder as a teenager. I have realized, guys, that I still am disordered in my eating. And I have since as an adult swung from orthorexia, where I have been fearful of what I consider unhealthy food, through to binge eating. And this is another thing that can happen with these SIBO diets. We can follow the restriction really well and then we can just go crazy and we eat all the food. And we feel like, you know, we've been in a concentration camp and then we just need to eat everything in sight. And I have done this. When I came off the SIBO diet, I was so scared about what I was going to eat. And then I just went crazy. And I ate burgers and fries and pizza and croissants and baguettes because I went to France and I went insane. And I didn't do it in moderation. I didn't just have a little bit. I ate everything I could and I felt kind of possessed, like I couldn't stop. And I know many of you are going through this as well. And this is called binge eating disorder, where we just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. I'm working with a psychologist now who specialises in disordered eating. And if this is resonating with you, I strongly recommend that you seek out the services of a skilled psychologist or therapist who has the expertise in disordered eating who can help you with this. Because it is seriously common with us SIBOers and it is not a way to live. I don't want anybody else to live like I have lived and be controlled around food. So it is something to be really mindful of, guys. It's a big thing for me to share that with you because I've held this as a secret for nearly my whole life. But I am on a quest to share everything about myself in the hope that it helps somebody else. Another thing that I do see happening with people is that following one of these restricted diets, particularly for longer periods of time, can lead to additional food sensitivities. And what I believe is happening here is that when we pull out all of these foods and then we don't eat them for weeks, months, years in some people's cases, our bodies forget to know what to do with them. And so when we try to reintroduce them, we can have quite strong symptoms or reactions to them. And then we go, oh no, that's my SIBO coming back. And then we completely avoid them for even longer. And instead, it can often be a case that we just need to tread really slowly and start really small with these foods and slowly bring them back in providing, of course, there isn't a, a food allergy or major sensitivity to it. So that can be one of the um, downsides of these diets. Another downside is the impact it's having on the broader microbiome. So I mentioned that there are studies coming out now that are looking at the diversity of people's microbiomes pre and post restricted diets like the low FODMAP diet and there is a significant reduction or um, impairment in diversity 
when you've been following this diet. At the SIBO Symposium just recently, it was discussed and the recommendation was no more than four weeks. That's really short, guys. So I think we need to be really mindful that if we are going to follow one of these diet protocols, we're not doing it for a long period of time. Dr. Jason Horolak, who's working with me around my gut microbiome diversity, has said to me that he will only put people on a restricted diet when absolutely necessary. He actually wants people to be eating as broad a range of food as possible right from the start. Because he's seeing the impact that's having on people's microbiome and their broader health. And a final downside of these diets is time. When you can't just grab food on the run, when you can't just get takeout, when you have to do all of your cooking, it takes a lot of time, a lot of mental power, a lot of planning to eat like that. And it can also have an impact on um, how you live your life because you can't just go out and eat like you used to. Some other things to consider when it comes to looking at how you're responding to the diet or what diet to do is looking at your food intolerances and or allergies. Um, I went and did some food testing and I also did a leaky gut test to see just how leaky my gut was or um, permeable, how large the particles were that were passing through the gut lining into my bloodstream and also what foods my immune system was responding to. And we pulled those things out and really worked at healing my gut as well as treating my SIBO so that I was able to calm down some of that inflammation in my system. Before you cut gluten out of your diet, I do think it's really important that you look at whether you do have celiac disease. I didn't do this. I cut gluten out in my 20s and didn't eat it at all really in my 20s and then only ate it sporadically in my 30s. So I was then never in a position to know whether I had celiac disease. You need to be eating gluten every day for three to four months in order for them to have an effective celiac disease test. And many of us don't want to have to do that because we think, I just can't be bothered dealing with those symptoms. So before you cut gluten out, I would recommend you get the celiac disease test done to rule out whether celiac disease is a factor for you. There's two ways to test. There is a blood test which looks at whether you have a genetic marker for it, but this doesn't pick up all celiac disease cases. I think about 20% get missed, a significant number. You can also then have an endoscopy whereby they take, they look at your villi and microvilli, they take a sample and they look at how flattened that is and that will also help diagnose celiac disease. If you want to know more about celiac disease and gluten sensitivity, I do recommend you go back and listen to episode 30 with Dr. Lisa Shaver. She herself has a really strong gluten intolerance, but she doesn't have celiac disease. So she talks about um, her approach to managing it herself and also treating her patients that are like that. And that's where I fall into that category. I have non-celiac gluten sensitivity, um, although now that my SIBO is and my gut health is improved, I can tolerate a little bit of gluten here and there. You also want to consider things like malabsorption. So how uh, malabsorbed are you? Are you getting 
the right nutrients. How deficient are you in nutrients and vitamins and minerals? And you can do some testing with your practitioner around that. If you have been disordered in your eating in the past, if you have had an eating disorder, then you really need to strongly consider whether going on a SIBO diet protocol is appropriate for you. And you do need to talk to your practitioner about that. SIBO doctors now are recognizing that disordered eating is something that they need to consider with their patients and they may not recommend that you follow a SIBO diet if that has been in your history or if you're still currently experiencing a disordered approach to your eating. Your current weight will be a factor as well if you are incredibly underweight or or even just slightly underweight with a tendency to lose weight quickly. Your practitioner may not put you on a SIBO diet. They may instead look at other measures to treat your SIBO rather than restricting your food. And also look at your desire to cook and household support. Who's there in your world that can help you with this? Are you going to have to do it all yourself Or are other people going to be able to help you with it? Now, for those of you in the States, I have my SIBO ready-made meals. Head to the show notes, which you can get a link there. You can order your meals. They are completely suitable for the SIBO diets. They're obviously suitable for the SIBO-specific food guide and the biphasic diet. And also they are low FODMAP. So if you're following the low FODMAP diet, you can... um, follow use those meals as well they come pre-prepared so they're cooked for you you keep them in your freezer and then when you need a meal that you know is delicious and suitable then you can pull it out of your freezer and have something to eat within five minutes and these meals are really there for you guys as that support so that you don't have to do all the cooking every single meal time so I hope you enjoy those meals guys and for those of you in other countries I am working on a solution. I've had many emails from you saying, when are they coming to Australia? When are you bringing them to the UK? I'm working on it, guys. I promise you. Given that weight loss or undesired weight loss is common for people with SIBO and it seems to be the most common side effect of a SIBO diet, I've asked many practitioners about what they do with patients that are experiencing this. So here are some strategies, guys, of what you can think about, what you can do. The first thing they'll look at is other food sensitivities and intolerances. Is your body um, reacting poorly to these foods because it's just not coping with them? So food intolerance testing, um, tracking your foods, doing your food and mood journal will be really helpful for your practitioner to understand what's going on. It's also really important that you do check for other conditions. We can become incredibly fixated on SIBO, but there can be other things going on. So you want to make sure that you don't have an inflammatory bowel disease such as celiac disease or ulcerative colitis or Crohn's. Um, Check for malabsorption like fat malabsorption, fructose malabsorption, for instance. Also, you know, we hate to think about it, but do check there's another no other nasty diseases like cancer. These can be hiding under our symptoms. So it's important that you look at your entire body, not just your small intestine. 
Looking at what you are eating, you might need to increase your fats and your carbohydrates. The fats will keep you satisfied. They're also dense in in calories, so they can help add to your calorie load without having to increase the volume too much. Some people can do really well on carbohydrates like white potatoes, white rice. Some people can tolerate white gluten like white bread so you might need to play around with what you can tolerate there look at low FODMAP grains such as quinoa corn rice millet oats again you may be able to tolerate one or some or even all of these things look at your foods that might contain more sugars things like squash fruits sweeteners also things like nuts and beans can really add to the calorie intake that you're doing each day but not add to a huge volume and dairy dairy is for baby cows at the end of the day and it's designed to help them put weight on so if you're wanting to put weight on look at adding some dairy in if you can tolerate it of course so go for high fat or full fat dairy aged cheeses 24-hour fermented yogurts or lactose-free products Uh, see what you can tolerate You might need to support your solid food intake with a liquid intake, such as the elemental diet. Many practitioners supplement the solid food intake for their patients who are underweight with the elemental diet so that they're drinking the elemental diet in addition to eating food because this brings in additional calories. You might need to eat larger meals. It might be your portion size. So look at how much food you're eating. Can you eat more food at a meal? You might need to add an additional meal in. So you might need to eat four meals instead of three meals. You might even need to add more snacks or add snacks completely into your diet. You might not be snacking at all. And when I've asked practitioners around this concept that we should be fasting as much as possible to support the migrating motor complex, we should leave four to five hours between each meal. Every single time they say to me, if a patient is incredibly underweight or losing weight rapidly, that will not support the body to return to health. So their first step is to get a person back into a more normal weight range and then start looking at the fasting. I think that's really important for us to remember. You also may may need some support with your digestion through, through things like enzymes, bitters, apple cider vinegar, that type of thing. Now, for those of you who are experiencing undesired weight gain, The general consensus amongst amongst the SIBO docs is it's generally not from SIBO alone. There's generally other things going on in the body. So it might be inflammation, it could be hormones, it could be other unidentified or yet to be diagnosed food intolerances. So looking at what's going on, again, keep a food and mood diary. So if you jump on the scales, and this is something that I was told by a nutritionist here in Melbourne. She said, Rebecca, if you get on the scales and you've put on a kilo, let's say that's 2.2 pounds overnight, that is not weight gain. That's not fat intake or fat gain. That is inflammation. So looking at what did you eat yesterday that's caused that inflammation and starting to really refine the foods that you're eating. 
Microbiome testing might be beneficial. You might be lacking those bacteria that are known to help people stay slim, as I am. I was not surprised to see that I have loads more of the bacteria that are seen in overweight people and not nearly enough bacteria that are seen in slim people. Damn you, bacteria. (laughs) You also might need to check your calorie intake. When we're following a SIBO diet, we can turn to the highly calorific foods. We can have lots of fats, nuts, seeds, um, thinking, well, I can eat it. It's for SIBO, but we might just be having too many calories for our body. I'm not a huge fan of the calories in, calories out methodology, but if you are eating significantly more calories than what your body can physically cope with, that might be something that you need to consider. So using a program like MyFitnessPal where you can get a good estimate of the calories you've consumed for the day and to track the exercise so the output can give you an, an understanding of whether your equation is completely skewed. Let's say you're eating two and a half thousand calories but you're not doing much movement because you're not feeling well. Well, well, it's not surprising then that the body is going, hey, I just can't cope with this. Also, your insulin levels. So a higher insulin, higher blood sugar can lead to higher weight. If the body is constantly having to um, put out insulin in response to carbohydrates and sugars and therefore converting that into stored fat because it's constantly having to put it somewhere, that can also be contributing to weight gain. And movement can be really supportive. So get out and move your body. It can really help to just get the body moving and shift some of the fluid. You might be holding extra fluid and also help the body to start um, burning some of those calories. Diversity is key and I've mentioned this a couple of times. Dr. Jason Horolek says that he gets his patients to track the plant-based foods that they eat every week and that he wants them eating at least 40 um, different foods. Dr. Terry Walls takes it one step further and talks about getting her patients to eat 200 different plant-based foods over the course of one year. I've got a really handy um, plant-based food weekly tracker that you can get if you are a member of the Healthy Gut Podcast. It's super easy to do that. All you need to do is head to the show notes page and you sign up for free. Uh, You just need to add your email and your name to that and you will then get access to the plant-based food tracker. This is really important. The first step is to identify how many different plant-based foods are you eating today. You'll want to be looking over vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, legumes, fresh herbs, dried spices and teas. And my plant-based food tracker has that broken down into those categories. So when I'm working with my coaching clients, the first thing we do is, well, how many did you eat? Just track that. Just count it for a week. Write down everything you ate for a week and let's see where your starting point is. Now, if your starting point is 15, then we will want to aim to get you to 20. If your starting point is 40, we will want to look at how can we broaden it from there. 
It's not about going, oh my gosh, I'm so bad. I'm only at 15 different plant-based foods in a week. Oh, I'm terrible. How am I ever going to get to 40? It's about, okay, let's start from somewhere and let's slowly increase. For you, it might be just one new food, one new plant-based food in a week. Slow and steady wins the, the race here. Along with our plant-based foods, we want to be eating a diversity of fats and proteins because each of these things gives our body different nutrients, vitamins and minerals. So when I'm doing my planning for my meals over the week, I look at all the different proteins that I want to eat and I make sure that I'm getting them in every single week. What I don't want to be doing is finding myself just eating chicken, for instance. Uh, and I do eat all types of different proteins. So I'll incorporate different fish, chicken, beef, lamb, pork, seafood. I'll tr look at different eggs, different nuts and seeds as well. I'm also looking for a rainbow of colours. I don't want to be missing out on the incredible diversity that those colours bring to my body. And on my plant-based food tracker, I have got that listed there of all the different colours our foods come in. And what my clients and I do is we tick them off. So each time you eat a new colour, you get to tick it off. If you are a list lover like I am and you love ticking things off, this is really satisfying. <laughs> And what I do with my clients is we try one new ingredient and one new recipe per week. It's really important we get diversity, we keep our food new and interesting and that you enjoy eating. And that's where my SIBO meal plans can come in handy because I've done all of that work for you. The diversity is there, the colour spread is there. All you need to do is buy the food and cook the food so you don't have to think about what you're doing. Uh, I've got a link about my SIBO meal plans in today's show notes. Also use this time to experiment with different cuisines. There's so many different cuisines out there that we can eat when we're following a SIBO diet. So things like Japanese, Italian, Mexican, Spanish, Greek, American, Australian, British, South American, French, Chinese, Thai, Indian, and so much more. In my cookbooks, I have turned many of these cuisines into SIBO-friendly dishes and uh, you don't even have to think about it. But for many of these, these cuisines, there's already recipes that are suitable or they just require slight modification. So you don't need to be bland with your food when you're following a SIBO diet. Along with the physical eating of our food, there are some things that we can do to provide us with extra support that can help our symptoms. So remember guys, our nutrition is there firstly as life support. It keeps us alive. Secondly, by going on a SIBO diet, it's there to help control our symptoms on a short-term basis. But what else can we do to help nutrition? So we can do some breathing and visualization, particularly if you find yourself feeling really nervous around food. Breathing can help us switch our nervous system into rest and digest and take it out of fight or flight. If you sit down for a meal and you're feeling really wound up, you've had a crazy day, you haven't had a second to stop, or if you're thinking, you're going, oh my gosh, I'm feeling a little bit nervous about this meal, 
do some deep breathing before you even put that first mouthful into your mouth. And what I say to my clients is you want to be breathing out for longer than you breathe in. So breathing in for one, two, three, four. Breathing out for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, if you can get there. And keep doing this. Now, this might take you five repetitions, 10 repetitions, 20 repetitions. There's no firm and fast rule on how long it will take you because it depends on how you're feeling. But breathing before a meal is really important. Again, before you put that food in your mouth, visualize it. Visualize that food going into your body. Visualize yourself chewing it chewing it really really well because that starts and helps the digestive process if you swallow food that you haven't chewed well you're making it harder for your small intestine to do its job so chew it until it's completely liquefied while you're chewing visualize it visualize it going down your esophagus into your stomach visualize your stomach processing it visualize it going into your small intestine visualize your villi and microvilli absorbing the nutrients that it needs visualize those nutrients being taken off by your blood system your blood cells into your system going to the cells the muscles the fibers the nerves that need to be replenished. Visualize your body regaining its health. I did this every day when I was going through my first round of SIBO treatment and it worked really, really well. It really helps you to connect your body to the process. Many people are eating too quickly and I was one of them. So my, my trick with myself was I'd put a mouthful of food into my mouth and then I would put my spoon or my knife and fork down and I was not allowed to touch it again until I had chewed my food incredibly well and swallowed it and that forced me to slow down and again every mouthful I'm visualizing it I'm visualizing it going in we need to support our digestive system to do its job our small intestine is broken. It is not working well because we have an overgrowth of bacteria. So how can we expect it to digest our food properly if we don't give it the best possible support before it gets there? So that's why eating slowly is important. Cooking your food from scratch helps start the digestive process. When we think about our meal, when we then pull the food out of the fridge or the pantry, we prepare it, we cook it, we smell it, we look at it. All of that tells our brains to send a message to the digestive system. Hey guys, get ready. Food is coming. Digestive enzymes are pumped in. Everything is getting prepared for that food to arrive. When we just eat takeout, it just appears and the body hasn't had time to do its job in preparing it for eating and processing food. So give yourself the support that you need to process and digest your food. Some other things that can help, again, this is totally dependent on your situation, will be meal spacing. So if you can space your meals, this can help your migrating motor complex, but it's not advisable for people that are very underweight. 
intermittent fasting can be a great thing. You might do what I do, which is you fast for 24 hours and you only have water. Um, some people do a dry fast where they don't have anything, including water. Um, I think that you've got to be quite careful with that. Um, you might find that you just have a window of eating. You might have a six-hour eating window, for instance. But you need to find what works for you. Let's talk about when you're in a flare or when you're starting out. For many of us, we can flare for what feels like no reason at all. We just have a big response and we can feel really sensitive to foods. So if we're there or we're starting out and we're already flared because we've only just learnt we've got SIBO, here are some tips that you can do to help ease the digestion and the nutrition in that phase. Raw foods can be quite problematic for people. It's There's more work for the digestive system to process those foods. So cooking, pureeing, mashing foods can really help to ease the burden on the digestive system. And if you think about it, you've already started the digestive process. You've helped to break those foods down. So soups, smoothies, stews, broths can be really good. If you can tolerate raw foods, but you can't tolerate them in their whole form, um, blending or chopping or pureeing or putting in a smoothie can still help the digestive process. You might need to peel your food so the skins might be problematic but the internal component of that vegetable or fruit might be fine. Uh, you might need to avoid rough foods such as nuts, seeds, beans, anything that can be quite abrasive on the digestive tract. Bone broth can be great if histamine isn't a problem for you. So if you're very sensitive to high histamine foods, then bone broth isn't, isn't going to be great for you because that can put you into a histamine flare. But if you're fine with histamine, then drinking bone, bone broths can be really soothing and supportive. Look for good quality fats. Make sure you're choosing them that and they've come from good sources. So look for grass-fed, organic, free-range, for instance. And do be careful of coconut. For some people, coconut is the devil. So if you find that coconut makes you feel a bit sick, avoid it. It's not for everybody. One of the keys is that we reintroduce new foods as quickly as possible. So here are some of my tips around food reintroduction. The first thing, guys, is slow and steady wins the race. Try one new food at a time. And the quantity really does matter. You might need to start out on a quarter of a teaspoon, one teaspoon, a quarter of a cup or an eighth of a cup. Depends on what that food is. Remember, you don't need a lot of it for your bacteria to respond to it. So start small. And track your and monitor your progress through your food and mood diary. So a process that my clients and I follow is we start on a Monday, you try that new food in that very small quantity, and then you wait and you see what happens. And you have it with a meal that you know is your go-to safe meal. So you have it with foods you know that you can eat and they don't cause problems. And then you watch, you monitor, you see how you feel. Have a break on the Tuesday and then try it again on the Wednesday. 
Now, depending on how you felt on Monday and Tuesday, that might be your time to increase the quantity slightly. So let's say you had a teaspoon, you might double it and go to two, spe- two, two teaspoons. Or you had an eighth of a cup and you try a quarter of a cup. But if you had some symptoms the first time round and you think, oh, I'm not sure about this food, try it again with that original quantity size. Again, track, measure, see how you feel. Have a break on the Thursday, don't introduce a new food then, and then try it again on the Friday. Again, if you did really well, you would you might like to increase the quantity size. So if you went from an eighth of a cup to a quarter of a cup, you might go to half a cup or a third of a cup. If you still had symptoms and you but you're still wanting to test it again, test it and see if at that original quantity size you still have symptoms. Now you may find that there's a food that you know immediately, this does not work for me, I don't like it, my body is responding very violently to it, then don't persevere, put that to one side, put it on your list like I did with pumpkin and come back to it. But let's you know keep our fingers crossed that you are able to reintroduce that food and by the end of the week you know for certain, hey, this is something that I can eat. As we're going into that process of bringing in new food you do want to prepare yourself mentally for it if you're feeling really anxious about bringing a new food in if you're wound up tightly stressed about it you're more likely to have a symptom so like what I said before adopt those supportive measures do some deep breathing visualize yourself having that new food before you've even attempted to eat it smell and touch the food hold the food you might need to start out with just putting that food in your mouth and then spitting it out you don't have to eat that food immediately straight away the key is that we get you eating as many new foods as possible but we don't have to be sprinting we're doing a long distance race here slow and steady really does win the race Some other key things I've got around nutrition and eating and living with a SIBO diet, guys, is um, really around getting yourself set up for success. So plan your meals ahead of time. If you have a couple of days or a week of your menu planning sorted, you're going to feel so much more confident about eating this way. You can go and do your food shopping. You know you've got food in the fridge and you know that it's going to taste good and you're going to feel great. I've got a free menu planner that you can download for listening to the SIBO uh, nutrition podcast today. So head to the show notes and you can download that for free and that can help you track what you're going to eat for the week. I love doing bulk cooking and this is perfect, particularly those of us that don't have histamine issues. I do my food shopping and prepping and cooking on a Sunday. It really helps me to feel prepared for the week ahead because then I have all of the main parts of the meal cooked. I have portion it up into containers I have them in the fridge and the freezer and then all I need to think about is the vegetables that I will serve with it. I always do dinner and then a portion for my lunch the next day so I don't need to think about lunch the next day. I do enough cooking I don't want to be cooking every meal necessarily so that really helps me to be um, organized and to feel that I'm not spending as much time in the kitchen. 
You might like to grill or fry up some protein or barbecue um, some protein and you can have that stored in the fridge and then all you need to do is just pull that out of the fridge and either eat it cold or heat it up and then serve that with some freshly cooked vegetables at the time of serving. I do sometimes prep my veggies for the week ahead, so I might chop up all of my vegetables. I might even pre-steam them, so all I need to do is reheat them. That can save time as well. If you have a great online ordering system in your area, um, order your food online, have it delivered to your home. That saves an enormous amount of time. And use a SIBO-friendly ready-made meal service like my SIBO ready-made meals that can really save time and mean that you've got meals in the freezer that you don't need to even cook. You You only need to reheat. And make this fun cook with friends and family um you know i i have had cooking days with friends where we come together we do the food shopping together and then we get in a kitchen we put music on and we cook for a couple of hours and we have the best time and then we get to share the meals as well that's it's a really good way of doing it and to finish off guys remember that this is not a forever way of eating but a temporary way of eating the goal is to get you eating as diverse a range of foods as humanly possible as quickly as possible look to approach your food and your meals with curiosity love and interest instead of fear and loathing and if you find yourself going into those kind of darker negative spaces look for where you can get some help to change that mindset Visualize your food with every with every mouthful, with every meal. It really does help to tell your body that it is on the right path for health and uh, that you are wanting to return it to feeling a lot better. And if you go into a flare, be kind to yourself. It is only temporary. It might feel like the end of the world at that moment in time but it will never last for eternity it will calm down now it might calm down in, a, in an hour it might take a day it might even take a week but it will pass and think about what you're learning in this process I learned so much in my SIBO journey so again approaching it with curiosity and interest uh, can be a way that you think wow look at what I've learned about myself And finally, eat seasonally, support local producers and farmers, go for the best possible quality food that you can afford. Um, I try to choose organic where possible. I look for pasture-fed, grass-fed meats. I go for free-range organic chicken and eggs. I use butter that has come from cows that have been grass-fed and not fed, uh, grains and hormones. Um, I drink lots of water. I go for lots of walks. I have my favorite foods and I cook them regularly, but I also um, look to add new foods in every single week. And I love the seasonality of food because it helps me to add new things in that I perhaps haven't eaten for a while. And if you feel completely overwhelmed by this process, reach out to someone that can help you. Do invest in a nutritionist or dietitian if you feel that you need that expertise when it comes to developing a um, nutritional protocol that is 
unique and specific to you. If you feel that you just need some extra support around the mindset and the lifestyle, then come join the SIBO coaching program. It is a great way that you can um, work with myself and others around uh, living well with SIBO. So there you have it, guys. That's my nutrition podcast uh, today. Uh, It's something that I go through with my coaching clients. You've got the kind of Reader's Digest, abbreviated version of it. I delve into a lot more detail in this in my SIBO coaching program. But I do hope you find it beneficial. To get access to the show notes from today's episode or to sign up as a member of the Healthy Gut Podcast so you can get that exclusive content for free, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash SIBO hyphen nutrition. Don't forget to leave a message or rating and review about this podcast in Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you listen to this podcast. I absolutely love hearing from you and it really does help me to know that this podcast is helping you on your SIBO journey. But most importantly, it helps other people with SIBO know that this is the right place for them to come and learn more about their condition. And come connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, Twitter and Google+. We're on all those platforms. Look for us under The Healthy Gut. You've been listening to The Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about The Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. We would like to thank Red Lemon Productions for the production and original music score of this podcast. To find out more about their services, head to redlemonproductions.com. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.